0: Here we come to Leviticus chapter 11. And it's probably one that we're familiar with basically, um, but practically um, we are unfamiliar with this passage. This is the dietary restrictions. Um, so we're going to dive in. I'm not also going to read every single verse uh, this morning, um, but rather I'm going to read a little of the animals and what. Um, of what they are, reason why this animal was or this animal wasn't. We get a general idea um, of what they are, um, but we'll get into the restrictions here in just a minute. I want to open us up in Leviticus chapter 11, verses uh, 1 to 2, to start out. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. And then you jump to the end to verse 46. After giving all of these animals, and it's a lengthy list, and it talks about clean and unclean, says this in verse 46 This is the law about beast and bird, and every living creature that moves through the waters, and every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Before we dive in, let us be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, this is... A passage, uh, Lord, that it means so much. I pray that we would, we would grasp the truth. I pray that we would grasp the application this morning, uh, not from my words, but God, let your word um, draw us in and draw us near to you uh, this morning. May it be afresh to us. Uh, may we not let it be stale. May we not let it be something that uh, we, we find boring, um, but Lord, it would be something that um, enlightens us and just, just draws us closer to you, and it sends us out for you. Um, Lord, on the mission that you've called us to. So God, uh, draw us near to you this morning through your word. Uh, We've gathered, we're obediently people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. So again, at the very beginning, you're getting Moses and Aaron um, are receiving from the Lord and this is something they are to deliver to the people. Um, So a little bit of the context here. just a little bit of a very, very brief recap of Leviticus and like what's going on. So Leviticus is all about God getting his people back into his presence, right? We know that sin has separated us from God and we need to be redeemed back into his presence. God created us to enjoy him forever and forever, to serve him, to love him, um, and to go and to exalt his name to all of creation. So Leviticus because of sin is, is God establishing this sacrificial system. This is the way that he was doing this to get his people back into his presence. He needed to make them holy and not sinful, right? We know that we'll never be perfect we'll never be perfectly holy until one day we receive our glorified bodies. But until then, um, we we have either a system where we're under this law or we have a savior who's fulfilled the system, right? So we received the instructions here in Leviticus of the offerings. We have several offerings at the beginning of Leviticus, first few chapters. You'll read about them. You can go back and listen if you missed, uh, so you can catch up if you missed one of the Sundays. We've seen the priest receive their calling to um, represent the people to God and God to the people that's what the job of the priest was your pastor um, is not your priest um, your friend is not your priest Jesus is the high priest and because he's fulfilled this and he is now our high priest we believe in the priesthood of all believers that we now represent God to people and people to God um, so we've seen that we uh, saw them make the first sacrifices uh, they made them it worked God consumed the sacrifice he was pleased with them uh, which is awesome uh, we talked about about it in the week when we dealt with that consuming fire, that it's awesome when you get to see what you're doing as a believer actually work. It's so exciting to see the the fruit of your labors, to see God working in and through us who were once far from him, now drawn near, seeing him work through us. We also saw them fall into sin and offer up um, what was called a strange fire to the Lord. Uh, They they didn't follow uh, God's commands, but they went about their own way, and they were then consumed by fire. Now we enter into somewhat halfway familiar territory, and it's the dietary restrictions. So how many of you all, by a uh, show of hands, would say that you're familiar with these restrictions on a basic level, that you've heard of the dietary restrictions, right? All right, now how many of you all would say that you understand the purpose of these restrictions, that you've studied them? Now. I've spent some time this week before that, I knew a, very, a little bit more than basic, but now I feel like i got a better grasp. Now how many of you all by show of hands are thankful that you can now eat bacon, right? There we go, that's a resounding yes. <laughs> Gus, you're smiling, does that mean, I know you heard me then, because you're smiling, did you, did you raise your hand, do you like bacon? If not, we'll have to rethink lunch uh, next week. So um, <laughs> bacon, I don't know if you all know where I'm from, but we, we eat bacon. We eat lots of bacon. We eat it on sticks. Um, we put a whole pig on sticks. All right, so the Aztecs put a whole pig on a stick. Uh, it's called a pig roast. We just eat all the bacon we can get. All right, so uh, let's get it. Um, but before we do dive in, I think it's really important to note, uh, if you've ever heard this, this concept or this idea that these animals were restricted because of health reasons, That's not it. Um, There was a good note that I saw uh, that it said, because Jesus came and fulfilled this, it doesn't mean that God cares less about our health, right? That, oh, now that Jesus came, I can let them eat unhealthy food. Uh, That's not the case. It didn't have to do with diseases. Um, It wasn't about that. Um, A lot of correlation there between blood, which was uh, not something that they were to consume. Um, A lot of these seem to be uh, carnivores, uh, animals that that eat other meat um, with claws. Uh, There is one thing in the birds uh, that we still shouldn't eat. It says bats. Uh, I think we know from a few years ago not to eat bats. We've learned our lesson. That Levitical part of the law should probably... Continue on, no more eating of uh, the bats. Um, So when we look at these food restrictions, the first thing I want us to see is that these food restrictions promote separation, point number one, they promote separation. Um, For God's people, we have distinctions, right? These distinctions are marks that identify us as different from the world. And that's what these restrictions were. This was God's way of preparing his people before they got to the land of Canaan, right? And God was preparing them with these food restrictions because if they couldn't get it right with all of God's people, what were they gonna do when they, God really mean that? You shouldn't do that, right? The Canaanites were people who worshiped idols. They were sexually perverse in every way. They offered child sacrifices to false gods. So God is trying to establish these marks that separate them from people outside of God's covenant so that when they interact with them, that they would not be caught up in their ways and they wouldn't be confused Formed to the world but rather into the likeness of their creator and that's something that we have to understand is still even true today that we have marks and distinctions that separate us from the world amen amen, amen. we have to have those distinctions because when it comes to to basic truth it is black and white it's light and dark. It's righteous and unrighteous. It's godly versus ungodly. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're at war with our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus. But what it does mean is that there's a waging war for their soul. So the devil and the adversary is doing everything he can to make them not believe this truth and to get you to fall and to stumble as well. So we will either be conformed to the world or we will stand on the truth that distinguishes us from the world. And that's what God was doing with these specific restrictions is distinguishing his people from the world. See, God was judging the Canaanites. He's sending his people in to take back this land that he had promised his people. But he was protecting his people. Don't go and be like them. They were to prepare their hearts through these restrictions and thus be separate from the world and distinct. Uh, consider 1 John 2 verses 15 through 16 where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Now notice the distinction there in that word, Right? you see very clearly that it's not everything in the world. Christians, we, we like to just bat away um, this idea that we shouldn't be like the world um, because oh, like we have to be in the world. It's, it's not what it's saying. Read exactly what it says. It says, for all that is in the world, and it says specifically these things, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. Those things are not from the Father, but it's from the world. So when we conform to those things, then we're not distinguishing ourselves, but rather we're proclaiming Jesus and then participating in sinful habits. And our proclamation of Jesus is then in vain because we're not living for the one who saved us. Remember, this world was created for you, right? This, everything in this world, church, was created for you. The birds and the fish. As believers, we have dominion over them. It goes back to, to creation. That now, in Christ Jesus, we are to care for this world. sin of man, that is bad. The heart, the pride. So if we are close to the world, or if we are separate from the world, rather, we are close to God, right? If we're separate from the world, we're close to God. But if we're close to the world, we're separate from God. Now think about this. Sin has separated us from God. And if it's separated us from God, it's drawn us near to something else. And that's despair in this world and our brokenness and fallenness. And then if we're close to the world and we're following the world and the world is is really, we've made it our king, we're continually separating ourselves from God. Even as believers, we're quenching the spirit, which the scriptures say don't do. Now understand this, that even though we no longer have these dietary restrictions, praise be to God, they're not used as marks of distinction (laughs) From the world we don't have that we don't have these dietary restrictions used as marks uh, to distinguish us from the world but we have plenty of other things we have the fruit of the Spirit that distinguishes us from the world right so eating bacon is not going to distinguish you it's not gonna link you to Jesus it's not gonna uh, unlink you from Jesus eating bacon now right but the fruit of the Spirit will separate you and distinguish you from the world people will know that we are his by our love for one another why would that be the case because the world doesn't really have love for one another. They have love until love can give no more. But we have love because we were loved when we had nothing to give. And we take that same love that while we were still sinners, Christ died by our love, church, for one another in this world. Yes. So they will know that we are his by our love, church, for one another. Yes. We are distinguished by a sacrificial spirit because Christ sacrificed himself, we also sacrifice our lives. Paul says to to become a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to the Lord in your spiritual worship. Our living distinguishes us from others, right? Like that's a little bit more broad and kind of uh, brings in everything that we've already said, but it's that we're not for ourselves. We're not living for ourselves, but we're living for Christ. That in everything that we do, that we would point people to Jesus. Now that's contrary to the world and distinguishes us because the world wants to take credit for the things that they've done. We want to be self made people. I was talking to uh, Maylee last night and we prayed. And I prayed. I said, Thank you, Jesus, for, for giving us our food, for um, giving us everything that we need a home, water, food. And I finished praying and we literally just had the family conference last night. And it was so good. And one of the questions was, What do you do when your kid, like, what's your response when they say, Why do we do that? And then I got hit with it. Maylee's like, God gave us our food. I thought we like bought that from Chipotle. And I'm like, I'm like, we did. But God in his goodness made Chipotle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he made it, right? That's right. That's right? It's something with the, the C restaurants, Chick-fil-A, Chipotle. Chick, Chick-fil-A is closed today. You can go get Chipotle, right? Praise be to God. And, and I told her, I said, he's, he's giving us money. And she's like, did he make the money? I'm like, no, but he taught people how to make money. And he said, yeah. it's a distinction to provide. We are his. It's a universal language that wherever you go around the world, when they see you dunk somebody and not hold them down until their life ends, but bring them back up and everybody cheers. They know that that's a distinguishing mark for Christians, yeah. those who follow Jesus. Second Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 17 Says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. And be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. We see that there are these these marks that distinguish us from the world. Church, we have to be separate. We must not conform to the world. We must be people who are separate. And that doesn't mean we'll get there in just a little bit, but I don't want anybody to, to go ahead and just turn their ears off because it's like, no, well, how am I supposed to witness? No, you go. Right, you go to the world. You go to your neighbor. You go to your neighbor's house and dine at their sinful dining table where they do sinful things. But they invite you in, and you have the opportunity to leverage the gospel. Do not participate in their sin, but participate in their life. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Absolutely, something we have to do. The second thing these were restric- sure is sanctification. Sanctification. Point number two. The second thing they promote is sanctification. Now, very clear to us, something we talk about often and something us as believers, we know all too well because we fall all too much, right? It's this journey of sanctification. It's being conformed into the likeness of Christ, right? being made holy each and every day. It is our continual church, never ending until we depart from earth or the Lord returns to it. It's our journey away from the world and closer to God through becoming holy as the Lord our God is holy. Leviticus 11 chapters, or verses 44 and 45 says this, "'For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy.'" You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So you have this separation. He wants his people to be separated. And in our separation, we'll find our sanctification. The more we separate ourselves from the ways of the world, we'll find ourselves being drawn near and inclined to the ways of God. Right, Because we now have not the power, and the, or rather the weakness of ourselves working in us and through us, but the holy God who has made us a temple, now working through us for his purpose and his glory. Tony Marita notes here from this, uh, these two verses in Leviticus chapter 11, uh, where it's talking about be holy for I am holy. He, he notes the sequence here. And also for our, our Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, one. Second, the reason, the purpose, to be your God. Yes. Now, because of that, three, you, should be, you shall be holy. Yes. Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. holy. So they're redeemed from slavery. He becomes their God and tells them to be holy. Now, that seems crazy, right? He, he becomes their God after. Yes, they weren't pursuing him. They were happy. They were ready to abandon Moses' plan after all the plagues. No, we're good, Moses. We don't want to be a part of this. And Moses takes them, and God delivers them, and then he becomes their God. Then he establishes his covenant and makes them his people and shows them the promise. And just for us also, church, God redeems us. Then he saves us through faith and sanctifies us through the work of his spirit and our obedience to him. So, yes, You are redeemed before you're even saved because the spirit has come into you and drawn you near. And it doesn't matter where you line up on, on a lot of those deeper theological issues. There's this truth that we cannot, no one can come to faith apart from the work of the spirit. The spirit church is working to draw sinners to himself actively right now. There are people in here that need to hear that word and you think, man, what am I getting out of this? But someone is hearing this and God, not me, God is working because when his word is proclaimed, it does not return void. He's working. He's working. So he's redeemed us. He saved us. And now you'll act like it, right? God's not telling them anything crazy. He's like, you're my people. So live like it. Do these things that I've commanded you. Man, how could I do that? How could I give up bacon? One, church, if it came down to it, if if these dietary restrictions were still here, then we would do it out of obedience. But you know what's crazy? Something that we don't consider is the next few generations, they don't even remember what bacon tastes like. Why? Because of generational obedience. Now, we can pass down generational sin, we can teach our children how to be sinful, or we can teach them how to be righteous and holy. To the point where our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren won't remember what sin is like because our house was built on the gospel and the foundational principles of Christianity. So it's difficult now, maybe because many of us were raised in in homes that were, were pagan, pagan practicing, maybe another religion, maybe a religion very closely associated to Christianity but didn't have the true gospel preached at home. So it's difficult because you're now creating new habits in your home that weren't established beforehand. But when you church, when you start to establish these, these habits at home, whether or not you have children, you will see the fruit of it slowly, but church surely. So if we're believers, we have to act like it. I'll, I'll remember every single Marshall game. I grew up in West Virginia, Huntington to be exact, um, and it's right on the border of Kentucky and Ohio, University game as a kid. We had season tickets. I went to, to every single one I could go to. Um, I was playing cornhole from eight in the morning to like 12 at night, and I'm not kidding. Um, and there are still people better than me at cornhole in the world, it's crazy. But it never failed, you'd be at a game, and Marshall could be blowing the team out. And then some guy next to you see someone mess up, and they said, you act like this is your first game. Don't you know how to play that position? Don't you know you're a football player? They'd look at the ref, the ref would make a bad call. Is this your first game? What are you doing, son? You need to get out of here. You ain't ever refed before, right? And it didn't matter. What they were saying was, if, if this is your game, if this is your position, if you're a football player, then you need to know football. Marriage is the same way. Some of us are married, but we don't act like it. We wear this ring, and it's a sign, and it's a symbol. We proclaim it to people by wearing it. It's a sign. It's, it's something people see, and they're like, hey, off the market. I tell Aubrey, keep that thing on, right? <laughs> keep it on. People know they, they, won't even, they shouldn't even bother. Shouldn't even bother. But then we don't, we don't act like it. We wear these things. We proclaim it to people as a sign. But then our actions don't match up. <laughs> I was listening uh, to a buddy preach, and he was talking about this, this same idea, and he hit on marriage, and he he hit the nail on the head the exact same kind of example, and I'll share my example, which is uh, word for word nearly his. I was at uh, Dan Wu's house. He invited me over. He says, hey, come watch the UFC fight. Uh, my brother's here. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Aubrey, I'm only going to go out for a little bit, right? I'm going to watch UFC fight. The main fights don't even start till 10. You go to bed, it'll all be good. Well, then I'm like, at Dan's, I'm like, well, the next fight's going to be on. It's going to look pretty good. I'm like, I'm just going to stay a little longer. She's probably already asleep. Well, then I start getting texts, and I'm like, ah, just ignore that, right? Like, ain't nothing good going to come from anything I have to say back. Going home ain't going to do me any good at this point. And I get home, and she's like, all I needed was a text to tell me that you were okay. Mm. You see, church, it's those things where we're married, but sometimes I don't act like I'm married. Now, we think about the, 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 the harshest things, right? You don't act like you're married because you're out having another relationship, right? Like, and that's bad. Well, this is also bad. If we are going to proclaim these things and enter into these covenants, we must actually live like we're a part of the covenant. If we are a part of God's people, we should look and act like God's people. James 1, verses 22 through 25 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, or perseveres, rather, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James makes a very good comparison, right? You don't look at yourself in the mirror and then turn around and forget, right? Tell you what, I go to, to Dom to get my hair cut. I don't forget what that cut looks like at all. I, I remember it so well that I know when it looks different that it shouldn't look that way. And James means to be a Christian. When we go out and we have meals with people who don't know Christ, we should not conform to their likeness for the sake of the gospel, but rather be distinct and show that we are sanctified by the work of God in us and through us. God says to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Why set up this sacrificial system if they're not going to live it out? I mean, Jesus makes it clear, the New Testament makes it clear, church, we're in the New Covenant, that none of those sacrifices really did anything. It was about their faith in those sacrifices, that the one true sacrifice would come and fulfill all of it, that they may rest and no longer work. There's a clear call and a command for us, church, to be continually growing that we are to continue growing and being made into the likeness of Christ. And there's an easy question that we can ask ourselves. Are we in the same spot today as a Christian as we were last year? Now, I'm not saying have you grown leaps and bounds, right? But have you grown? Do you feel yourself closer to God this year than you were last year? Now, you may be in a season literally just this week or maybe this morning where you just wanna say no. But be real with yourself and ask yourself in a few hours when things calm down. Are you further today than you were last year? Now that doesn't mean lead, be led into despair and you're, you're, um, you're gone, right? You're not a believer anymore, no. But it should remind you of his goodness and draw you closer to him despite your weakness. These restrictions were thing that these restrictions promote is sending. Point number three, sending. These restrictions were to make the Israelites distinct but not proud. And the one thing Israel failed to do was to promote. They lived in their own little bubble. Um, they, it's like they had like these little homesteads, and, and they didn't want anything to do with the people outside. I mean, consider Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? They come up, and you're not supposed to be talking. She even knew. She's like, why, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus engages with her and shares the gospel with her. And she goes, and she shares the gospel. And people come to hear more of the gospel and to meet this God-man, Jesus, But then the disciples come, and they're worried, and, hey, Jesus, like, we need to go, like, we need to eat, blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't be with this woman. They were so bad at this. They were so bad about carrying forth the gospel Now we have a clear command in the New Testament to go and carry forth the gospel. But church, it is because of this that we have a great distinction and understanding that now you are no longer Jew, no longer Gentile. Because what this did was separate that. It showed that you're either a Jew or a Gentile. And in Christ Jesus it says there is no longer that because Jesus has fulfilled this law and all in Christ are in Christ and he in them. We are one creation together. We are one family The prohibition had to do with food, not people entirely. There was, it was to be a distinction to separate themselves from people, but it had to do with food. And some people church, we can't go into their homes, but let me tell you something that does awful, awful things in between. We wanna paint everybody as this terrible, terrible villain that does awful, awful things in their home, and yes, they're sinners, so are we, and we had no hope apart from Christ. So then we look to food we as believers in the New Covenant, we eat for food for the glory of God, both to enjoy what he's given us, the food, and with those whom he's placed in our life. We're not meant to have meals alone. We're meant to have meals and fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and also sinners who don't know the Savior. We are called to invite them into our homes, to have them at our tables, and also church to go and enjoy their meals at their tables. Food is the most intimate place and, and a place where just walls are just broken down and you can talk with people. I mean, I just, I shared this story with several people and I know uh, I shared it with Robin, I think last week, cause she was just, she was dying because she thought I, how's it, it's crazy that you don't like tomatoes and I can eat a tomato on a, a cheeseburger. So don't, don't give me any flack after service, but a tomato, some of you all eat them like apples. And that's so disgusting. <laughs> that's so gross to me. And let me tell you how gross it is to me. We had moved to Medina and our neighbors uh, on the bottom floor and over one, uh, which is good because otherwise we wouldn't have been invited over because doing that above them all day long is not a good way to get invited to their house. But they invited us into their apartment for a meal and I sit down and she just brings out the plates and then these big juicy tomatoes with like cheese or something. And for the sake of the gospel church, I ate like six good bites of that thing. And I was like, man, I'm so full. Like, I've never had a tomato like this. It, like, really filled me up. And she's like, that stinks because I made banana bread. And if you know me, I love banana bread. So, like, the fact that I had to pass up on banana bread to carry through this lie that I enjoyed this tomato, that was absolutely disgusting. But, church, we do things for the sake of the gospel that the kingdom may be advanced. And it's, it is funny. I look back at it. But those are the sacrifices we make. What was I supposed to say? no. Am I supposed to be like my child who's picky? I don't like tomatoes, right? No. I, like, I still feel like the backhand sting from my dad saying stuff like that. Like, no way. And actually, church, consider these, these foods and the dietary restrictions and then the vision Peter got in Acts 10, verses 9 through 16. It says, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, right? Catching it? And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He probably said that so proudly, God, I've done so good. And the voice came to him again the second time. It says, what God has freed clean, do not take it up at once to heaven. You go on down to verse 23 through 29. Peter then is invited, right? Someone calls for Peter. Peter goes without question. It wasn't a Jew. It says, so he invited them in to be his guests, talking about Peter and his crew. It says, the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation the distinction, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Church, the fulfillment of this law with Jesus, it allowed them to eat bacon, but it sent them on a mission to carry forth the gospel to sinners who can be made saints by faith and repentance in Christ Jesus. Consider how meals bring us together. Consider acts and how many meals were had, how many tables the gospel was shared at church. The gospel wasn't shared in church. People didn't come to know Jesus solely in service, but rather the service going to the streets through the saints carrying forth the message. Thank you, Jesus. It was once a diet of distinction and now a feast of fellowship that the people had. Now consider this, right? These restrictions kept them under Adam. It reminded them that even touching an unclean thing stained them. And it reminds us that apart from Christ, we too are sinners, not just by our deed, but by Adam. We inherited Adam's sin because he was unclean. That's what it was showing them, that even touching the unclean thing made them unclean, and it showed them their need for their Savior. Church, when we go out, we need to tell people that that we actively participate in sin, but we are born in this sin. We inherit it from Adam. I mean, consider the apple restriction. It it reminded them of the food restriction in the garden. The apple was made. Was the apple bad? Yes or no? No, because God made everything, and what did God say? It says God saw everything that he had made, and it was good, and he was pleased. The apple was good, but there was a restriction. And that was a distinction, that they were going to be God's people or they were not going to be God's people. And we are no longer under that. For, as Romans 5.19 says this, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, Adam, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. How are we living separate from the world? Not away from the world. The Bible says that we'd have to depart from this world to be away from sin altogether but rather distinct from the world. Because church, that distinction is still there. The next question, so first off, how are you living separate from the world, not away from, but distinct from? Secondly, do people see your sanctification? Do your brothers and sisters who are called to look into your life, to hold you accountable and you to them, do they see your growth? Do they see you becoming more like Jesus or more like the world? Even more so, would your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't identify with Jesus, would they identify you as a follower of Jesus? Do they? Lastly, are you devoting time to brothers and sisters in Christ to have them over for a meal, to do life with them? But what about sinners too? See, church, we we go to extremes, Right? We either only hang out with sinners and then we fall into that trap or we never hang out with sinners and thus disobey God's command to go. Church, we are sent by the scriptures to not withhold this message, to not hide it from people, but to go and to share of the joy that those who were made sinners by one man's disobedience and actively participate in it can now be made righteous by the one man's actions, Jesus on the cross when he took the penalty of our sin. Church, we have a message that we ought to joyfully proclaim to every person that despises you and every person that loves you. It doesn't matter, for there's no distinction, Jew nor Greek, for the gospel is reconciling all God's people to himself. From every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, there will be people who sing and lift up a joyful noise, praising the God that saved them. Praise be to God. If you all would, go ahead and stand. I want us to just reflect on those things. Church, be separate from the world. Don't be apart from it. Don't go away from it. You can't do that. Be sanctified. How? Draw near to God through his word. Immerse yourself in God's word. Saturate your life in the gospel. And understand that you are sent. When you leave here today, you're on mission. This is the only cool down period that you get every single week. Why? Because it's all God's people coming together and saying, God, we can't figure it out. We need you, we need more of you, we love you, we love these people, and we want to do this together. So as you go today, go and put Jesus in the perspective in your life, your family's life, your neighbor's life, and every life that you encounter, share the love of Christ both in word and in deed. Father God, thank you for this morning that we've had. God, I pray that you would just continue the work in us and through us. God, we make jokes, we're happy that we we get to eat certain things, but God, I pray that our heart would just be changed to, to know that we would do anything for you. If it was giving up this food or that food, this habit or that habit, whether sinful or not, God, that we would give up anything to follow you. God, I pray that we would take up our cross daily. I pray that we would just go. God, we're already going. I pray that we would be intentional about those we encounter as we're going. I pray that we would be faithful to share this message of hope the good news of our salvation, and not only ours, but anybody who would believe that they may have life in you and have it abundantly. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us when we had nothing to give, nothing to offer. God, I pray that your spirit would just work in us and God, that we would show people your goodness despite or in spite, rather, of of our failure. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I pray that you would just bless us, bless the rest of this day. Those who are missing, be with them. And go before us to those we haven't met yet. God, we pray that you would open those doors, soften those hearts, and we'd be faithful to proclaim the gospel message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.